This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 153. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm here with my big, bald, beautiful co-host, Christopher J. Graham. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm great, man. How are you doing? I am doing so good, man. I'm excited about our interview today on the podcast, but before we get into that, what you been up to, my dude? All the things. So can I actually pause and answer this before you even answer it? What Chris has been up to is growing this really thick, caterpillar mustache on his upper lip that I'm like, it's almost so cool. If you would just grow out the edges and just do that little wax curl tip at the ends, you'll be like Wario, actually. It's a me, Wario. I don't know. I don't know what Wario's voice sounds like. But yeah, I, I grew a mustache um, since we la- recorded our last episode. I've always wanted a mustache. It turns out I'm not bad at it. It's thick and black. And you got a tattoo. Oh, yeah. I got a tattoo. It's a bee. Yeah, so we're recording this in the spring right now. Who knows when this episode will air? Have you captured a hive yet? Chris does beekeeping, by the way, if no one knows that. Chris is a part-time, for-fun beekeeper. I have not captured a hive yet. I'm not 100% certain that I'm going to this season. Just got a lot of life stuff going on. But yeah, you know, honestly, one of the biggest things I've, I've been doing over the past six months since we recorded our last episode is falling back in love with photography and videography. And on our last season. At one point I was like, Brian, I'm going to record a video every week in 2019. And I totally biffed on that. I I might've gotten 25 weeks in before. No, you didn't even get that. So just to clarify, Chris did uh, something we call stick.com, S-T-I-C-K-K. That's where he can put a deliverable on the internet, something that he, he wants to do like a habit. Maybe he wants to lose a certain amount of weight each week or some sort of thing he wants to do. His was a YouTube video every single week. And then he assigned me as his referee. And if the video didn't get submit by this specific time, every single week, I got to be the jerk that said, nope, didn't do it. And you get charged a certain amount of money that goes to, you can go to a charity if you want, but that's a little too much of a cop out. Cause you can just not do the work and say, oh, it's going to charity. I don't care. Or it can go to an anti-charity, which is something you just vehemently hate. Is that a word vehemently? I don't even remember what my anti-charity was, but it was something that I am not a fan of. Yeah. They have like pro-gun charities, anti-gun charities, GOP. They have like any kind of political thing you might love or hate. You can do any of those things and just pick something you don't like. Yeah. You probably didn't pick something you didn't like enough or else you absolutely wouldn't have missed, but I don't think you made it more than 15 weeks before it went out. Anyways, continue on what you were saying. Something like that. Well, the good news on, on that front is, so when I was in high school, my freshman year, my mom bought me a Minolta film camera and I took the same photography class. I don't even know how many times. And I would just develop, take pictures, develop them, you know, enlargers and the whole nine yards. And over the past six months, I ended up getting a new camera and then I got another new camera and I've just been taking pictures and making videos like crazy. It's all been stuff for like my kids and I've just been kind of getting my chops and it has been so, so much fun just like running around with a gimbal and a camera and making fun videos. Yeah. I've been watching some of the stuff I've been posting on the old Instagram and uh, some of it's really good. A lot of it's really try hard too, but a lot of, some of it's really good. (laughs) I'm still finding my voice. I'm still finding my voice. (laughs) Yeah. Just so anyone is clear, Chris is calling and as being a six figure creative is not photography and videography, at least not yet. 
Not yet. Not yet. It's audio. So if you if you look at Chris's Instagram and you're like uh, you're like a pro and you're looking at this stuff and you're like, oh god, this guy's this guy's not a professional. That's why. Yeah, I'm a wannabe, but I've got cool toys. It's important to always have like creative hobbies and creative outlets, you know, especially as you start doing your creative thing that you love for a living and earning lots and lots of money. Sometimes that even stops becoming as fulfilling as it once was because everything yeah. becomes kind of a job once you start making money with it. And it doesn't mean it's, you hate it. It just means it's a job. And so sometimes you need that fun thing that is not monetized to do as a creative outlet. I have a ton of those, but not, I feel like it's, I should probably get into something more artsy. Yeah, maybe. I ended up starting to collect vintage lenses. So like old 35 millimeter lenses, cause they are dirt cheap, but they add this aesthetic to your video and pictures that are just super, 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 super fun. So I've been doing that a lot, but you know, honestly, it, it's been weird as I've gotten more into it. I've, I've thought to myself, you know, I almost majored in video production in college. I almost double majored in audio and video production. And looking back, I'm like, man, I could have, it would have been really fun to make music videos for a living. It would have been really, really fun. And honestly, I'd love to get some people on the show that do that sort of thing, that provide services to creatives that are different. Uh, I'm 100% certain we will. There's no chance we don't get those types, of, those types of creatives on this show. But if you are that type of creative or you know that type of creative, feel free to send them our way. What's our link to either apply to be on an interview or to be interviewed? You can actually, if you want to be interviewed on the podcast, we have a, a whole application process. Or if you want to suggest a guest, Give them the link to that, Chris. It is six figure creative. That's the number six figurecreative.com slash guest. And there's a quick little form on there you can fill out. Perfect. So let's talk about our interview today, Chris. On the podcast today, we have a man you may or may not have ever heard of. His name is Bob Berg, but he's written a book, kind of a movement yep. called The Go-Giver. And if you have been with this podcast for any length of time, you know, back when we were called the Six Figure Home Studio. I would say like every three episodes, we mentioned the book, The Go-Giver. So our six-figure home studio audience has to be well familiar with this. But if you're new, if you just started listening to the show recently, you may not know who Bob Berg is, but he wrote this book called The Go-Giver. And the moral of this story, we're not going to go over the whole thing, but the moral of this book story is the more value you give, the more money you make. And as creatives, that can seem a little wrong. Irritating. Irritating. Yeah. It can seem a little wrong, a little backwards, but I think the interview that we do with, uh, with Bob today, he actually goes into why that is, how we can think about sales as creatives and how we can approach things in a way that doesn't feel icky. He actually, one of my favorite things is where we talk about in this interview, how we essentially flip sales on its head. And I think it's a much more palpable way as creatives to think about sales. So that is kind of, that's just one part of the interview today, but I'm I'm, I'm excited for y'all to all be listening to this. Yeah. That's an amazing interview. And I was blown away as he talked. I was like, I want to be friends with this person. I want to talk to him more often. So yeah, we just did an interview earlier today. Now we're doing the intro to the show, but I won't leave you hanging anymore. We've already talked enough. Uh, what, what's the word for this, Chris? Uh, banter? Banter. God, it's like my least favorite thing on podcasts, unless I care about the podcasters themselves, which some of you may, some of you may not. Who, who cares? Anyways, this, this is, we're done. Well, here's the go to the interview with Mr. Bob Berg, author of The Go-Giver. Bob, we are so glad to have you on this podcast here. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on this show. Oh, I appreciate being with both of you. Thanks for having me. Yes. So Bob, with this book, you somehow managed to capture, the book being The Go-Giver, you somehow managed to capture something that is so insanely relevant to so many industries. And if you would be willing, we'd love to kind of just get the quick story of what led you to write such a highly relevant book to not only creatives, but business executives, to uh, pizza shops to 
just any kind of, just some, so many random businesses and especially our own audio industry. Like the, we teach these principles. It is pretty much the backbone of what we teach here at the Six Figure Creative and Six Figure Home Studio in our past. And uh, it would be interesting to just hear how you came up with such a great idea. Well, so short story going from uh, starting out as a broadcaster first in radio and then television and then graduating into sales and really learning and understanding sales, personal development and so forth. I ended up eventually becoming a speaker. I wrote a book in the early mid 90, I guess it was published in 1994 called Endless Referrals, Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales. And it was really a book for entrepreneurs and salespeople who knew they had a great product, a great service that they brought fantastic value to their customers and clients, but they may not have felt comfortable with the process of going out into their communities and building the kinds of relationships that resulted in people wanting to do business with them personally and refer them to others. So Endless Referrals was just a step by step system as to how to build those what what I call know, like, and trust relationships. And you know, what is a system? It's the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. Uh, the key being predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of B, then you know all you need to do is A and continue to do A and eventually get the desired results of B. So that's what the book was. So it was a how-to book. But I'd always read parables and always enjoyed reading parables. Since I'd been in sales, I enjoyed reading parables. And I think the reason is, is because parables are stories. And while how-to books are great, I've certainly read hundreds and hundreds of them. And, you know, and there's something about a parable, a story that connects more on a heart-to-heart -heart level. And I think we all know that intuitively, that stories connect, right, in a way that how-to instruction doesn't necessarily. And I always thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take the basic premise of endless referrals, which is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust and put it into a parable form. So uh, first thing I just did is ask the question. So uh, in titling it, what is the essence of that entrepreneur who is able to very quickly yet sustainably build those know, like, and trust relationships? And it always comes down to their givers. They're always looking to give value to others. And so coming up with the title, The Go-Giver, was, was pretty easy and having a, a somewhat of an idea of where I wanted to go with it. But really, the best thing I did for the book was to ask John David Mann, um, who at the time was editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to write for, but had a reputation amongst those who knew him in his kind of niche market as a brilliant, brilliant writer who had ghostwritten a couple of books that went you know, we're really, and I just asked him if he would be the uh, co-author and the lead writer and storyteller. Because again, I'm a how-to guy. I'm step one, step two, step three. John's a magnificent storyteller. So I knew he could bring this story out and do justice to it in a way that I never could. So fortunately he said yes. And we, we collaborated on it. It only took us a few months to write it. But the tough part was, you know, finding a publisher. Our agent went through 25 no's from New York publishers until we finally got the yes, which, you know, which was from Portfolio a business book division of Penguin Random House, and they turned out to be the perfect publishing partner for us. So, you know, things happen as they're supposed to, but that's really how that started. Yeah, that sounds strangely relevant to our own, at least the roots you talked about, the uh, salesperson that just struggles to go out and, and do the things they know they need to do. They, they struggle with putting themselves out there. So that, I mean, gosh, if I could sum up our struggle into one thing, that would be it. Yeah, especially creatives, uh, like the people who are watching and listening to this, they tend to be just wonderful artists, 
they're so good at what they do. I mean, it's just, I'm always amazed when I go into a studio, what you all are able to do, but they don't necessarily sometimes even want to believe that they have to sell their services, right? And see, a big thing with that is really kind of a, a misperception about selling. See, most people who say, because I guarantee you, many of them say, well, I don't like selling. It's not that they don't like selling. It's that they don't like what they think selling is. Because if you believe that selling is about trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need, well, that's not selling. That's called being a con artist, right? <laughs> selling, by definition, is simply discovering what the other person does need, does want, does desire, and helping them to get it. Interestingly enough, the old English root of the word sell was salan, which meant to give. So when you're selling, you're literally giving. Now, someone might say, okay, Berg, that's all clever and everything, but isn't that just semantic selling, giving? If I'm selling, what am I giving? Well, let's say you're talking to someone about doing business with you, okay? You're in the selling process. What exactly are you giving that person? I suggest you're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and ultimately immense value. So, you know, I want these wonderful artists and technicians and creatives to feel good about selling because it's only when you do that successfully that you're able to help the massive numbers of people who need your help. We try to tell that to our audience. And this is why the go-giver has resonated with me so much. I think it's resonated with Chris so much. It's definitely resonated with our audience so much for that exact thing that you just talked about. It's, it's essentially flipping selling on its head. Well, yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it's doing. See, the key, the, the premise of the basic premise of, of the go-giver is very simple. It's just that shifting your focus, as you're talking about, shifting, but you, you know, right? Uh, shifting your focus from getting to giving the focus. Now, when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others. Understanding that doing so is not only a more pleasant way of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. And not for some way out woo-woo type of magical, mystical type of reason. No, you think, think about this. When you're that person who can take your focus off of yourself and place it on that other person, discovering again their needs, wants, and desires and helping them to get it, helping them solve the problems that they have, helping them get the solutions that they need, helping to bring them closer to happiness. People feel good about you. People want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be in a relationship with you. They want to use your services and they absolutely want to tell others about you. You know, one of the things that really struck me about the go-giver is there's this story in the Bible where Jesus's disciples are arguing about who the greatest among them is. And Jesus says something along the lines of like, the greatest is last and the servant of all. And when I read the go-giver, it was like, holy crap, like this is what Jesus was talking about. And it even applies in business. That blows my mind. Like what the parallels are between you're talking about stuff, you're putting it in a language that's easy to digest and easy to understand, but the idea isn't necessarily new. 
Oh, no, it's not new. In fact, none of the principles in the book are new. And, and it's really <laughs> funny because when the book first took off, you know, and and we were doing a lot of interviews and we were often asked the question, so what is it about this book that's, what are these new ideas that you and John are talking about? And, you know, what's new about this? And I'd say nothing. You know, what's new about it? People have been, you know, doing business this way as for as long as there have been market economies, I would imagine, you know. Now, not everybody knew that's what they were doing. Some people did it very intuitively or they called it other things. John and I may have named the laws differently and put them into a story form to make them relatable. But no, this is it's you know, because remember the focus on others. Why? Well, you know, when I speak to actual professional salespeople, right? And I'll have, you know, thousands of them in a room. And I'm one of the first things I'll say to them is this, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money. And they're not even going to buy from you just because you're a really nice person. They're going to buy from you because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And you know what? It's the same reason why someone's going to use your services because they believe they'll, they'll benefit by it. And why wouldn't that? It's the only reason why they should do business with you or from with me or with anyone else. Now, this is why that person, that's why this creative, that's why this producer who can place their focus on that other person, again, discovering their needs, their wants, their desires, and helping match up your services with what they need, want, and desire, you're the person who's going to attain the business. And, and this is why we say that money is simply an echo of value. I love that. Think about that. Money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which, by the way, came from John because I wouldn't think of something like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the thunder to values lightning. This guy's great. That's brilliant. Yeah. So what it really means is this, the focus has to be on the other person, right? And, and, and the value, that's the, the value comes first. The money you receive, which you should receive, is simply a natural result of the value you've provided. And this actually brings us to a point in the book, and we're not going to go through all the, the five laws of stratospheric success. Those are in the book. And, and so many of people in our audience have already read this book, so they know. And if you haven't read the book yet, that's a, re a great reason for you to go actually read the book. So go buy <laughs> Boss book right now. And It's the number one book we recommend. We talk about it more than any other book. And we talk about a lot of books. Yeah. Thank you so much. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, we've mentioned it probably 30 times on 150 episodes total. Wow. There's one law called the law of compensation that you just touched on. It's your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. And I think that is such a wonderful uh, way to explain what you just talked about. It's an echo of the value that you give. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that. How does that apply for someone that's in the service-based industry where you're directly doing time for money? It's not a scalable business. You can't necessarily serve tons and tons and tons and tons of people if you're working with them one-on-one-on-one. -on -one -on -one. -on -one. How does that translate for somebody like our audience who's pretty much working with one to a few people at a time? So there is that certain point. If you're not able to scale past the direct time you're working with someone, absolutely, there is a limit because there is a limit of the amount of people you can serve. Now, there's a couple things you can do. One is still sort of still has its its ceiling, and that is find more ways to bring value to that person through additional services. But let's put that aside for a second because that's never going to scale big time. The other way is to do something that allows you to serve more people. So it could be that. It could be this. Can you expand your business? Okay. Can you license 
your knowledge or open another studio somewhere else where you, you know, you're sharing your system and your wisdom with someone else who's newer and who will pay for the rights to do that and so forth. Or can you create a product in which you teach other people how to, or, you know, the, for the, uh, you do a thing on how to produce your own song, you know, or something like that, where it's basically, it's not going to be a professional thing as much as you're showing someone who's trying to even do their own demo or something at home, how to produce their own song. You know, so I'm just coming up with something from the top, but I'm yeah. saying, in other words, using your wisdom, something that is scalable, that people value, that people would want to have that they wouldn't be able to get other than through your, you know, your service. I think you touched on something there that's, that's interesting is just finding a way to reach more people. A podcast. We talk about launching a podcast in our community a lot is a way to touch more people that ultimately can turn into more sales. Chris and I were talking before this uh, interview, we were just prepping some stuff and we were actually curious if there are any common mistakes that you see when people are trying to implement any of these laws, what are some of the misunderstandings people have of go-givers that are something to watch out for when you're trying to implement this sort of stuff into your business? Yeah, there are actually two great questions there. The first is what mistakes do people make when they do this? And I think the biggest mistake is thinking they're providing value to someone when it really isn't valuable to the other person. It's valuable to you. And let me explain why I say this. See, there's a difference between price and value, right? Price is a dollar figure, a dollar amount. Value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. What is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea that brings so much worth or value to another person that they will willingly, in this case, exchange their money for it and be glad they did while you make a very healthy profit. So the value must surpass the price, okay, in that person's mind, a basic rule of economics. People will exchange their money for that which they feel is of greater value than the money they're exchanging it for. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it, right? And meanwhile, the cost of what you're selling needs to be lower than what you sell it for. Again, that just basic economics and, and, and so forth. And that works out really well. But what about the type of value as you're just starting to meet someone and develop a relationship with that person. And, you know, the value you're bringing them in terms of knowledge, in terms of connections, in terms of help, in terms of, you know, whatever that we might think that because we believe something is of value, that the other person thinks it's of value. But it's not necessarily because we all come at the world from our own unique set of beliefs, our, our belief system which is, by the way, very unconscious. It's based on our upbringing, environment, schooling, media, so, you know, everything. But by the time we're a little more than toddlers, it's pretty much etched in stone. In other words, we see the world a certain way and we don't even realize we see the world this way as opposed to all the other ways it could be seen, right? In other words, we all live in our own matrix. Is there some forms of checks and balances you can put on yourself to make sure you're not adding value where you're not actually adding value, where you're actually taking, where you think you're adding value? Is there something you can do to help understand? And it's not even that you're taking, it's that you're just not adding it. And that person doesn't appreciate it. They don't not appreciate it. They just don't appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? So they just don't see it as being like, like, for example, let's say that you want to make a connection between two people and you think, wow, this would be great value. These two would be great meeting each other. And you know what? It would be really cool because they'll appreciate me for it, certainly, because I'm putting these two great people together and you just like make a mutual email introduction, okay? With, I don't know. And 
one person's really grateful for it. The other one is ticked because they do not like being introduced to people without knowing first that they are going to be right. You know what I'm saying? For whatever reason, that is something that they, you think you're adding value. And then, you know, this person doesn't appreciate you say, oh, but I'm adding such great value to this person's life. Well, not to them, you're not. So when you ask, you ask a great question and that is, you know, is there a check or, or balance to that? Yeah, it's called awareness. I need to practice this myself all the time as well. We all do. And that is being aware that what we're about to say or do, we have to ask ourselves the question, is this something that other person is going to appreciate? How do I know they're going to appreciate? Have I done my research or asked the questions to know this is, you know what I'm saying? And we don't always know. We have to make decisions sometimes based on incomplete information, but we do our best to stay conscious of what we're doing. And that's the greatest check and balance we can have. This is something I struggle with a lot. I got into business coaching once this podcast took off and it's been a blast. But what I'll struggle with is balancing between helping somebody with what they need and helping somebody with what they want. And that is such a strange balance to make where some people, some people will be like, oh, I need to make more sales tomorrow. Eh, actually, your business model needs some work first. Yeah. And then I'll focus on what I feel like they need and then they won't. It can be tricky to deliver value when wants and needs are muddying the waters. Sure. And this is where the relationship really comes into play and where the trust really comes into play. Because what this person really needs you to do is to give them what they need, even though they don't want that right now. You know what I'm saying? And you need to be able, and that's why you need to be able to, in a tactful way, help walk them through it so that, you know, they actually answer their own question as far as, yes, this is what I need to be doing. And so that, sure, it's, it's uh, always tricky. And that's why the, you know, the, the, the more work you put into running these conversations in your own mind and practicing it in advance, the easier it will be when it actually comes up. I suggest this to people all the time because, you know, again, we're all human and we all have these same issues, basically. They just manifest themselves in different ways, right? And so when something catches us off guard, that's when, you know, the reactionary part takes over and we really kind of are stumped. We don't know how to handle it. But if we know that this is something that often comes up, that someone you are coaching, they say, well, I need more sales, but you know that really that's just the manifestation of the actual issue. Okay. Yeah. How do you ask a series of questions that gets them to say to you, uh, yeah, you know something, Chris, uh, I guess I really need to be working on the business model first, don't I? Or, you know, what have you. So yeah, sure. That's a key part of coaching. This is so great. I'm getting free coaching from Bob Burke, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, I've got another question along those lines. So when Brian approached me to co-host this podcast with him, I thought about it and I was like, you know, I've read all these business books. My business is going really, really well. Do I really want to tell people my secret sauce? Do I want to share everything I've learned in these business books? And I thought about the go-giver and I was like, well, the go-giver would say, go for it. The go-giver would say, yeah, share everything you've got and don't hold back. And I was astounded at what happened and how much value kept coming back to me by just giving away the farm. Just to say another, my income has multiplied many times since implementing that exact principle you struggle with there, Chris, but continue on. Yeah. You're a little ahead of me on this, I think, in a lot of ways. Well, financially, a lot of ways. <laughs> But one of the things that I've been wrestling with, Bob, is this idea of if I have to choose between helping a million people a little or helping a few people a lot, 
how does the go-giver come into play there? You always do an analysis of what's going to be the best for all concerned. And please understand something. And, and I mean, I know you guys know this, but just I, I just want to clarify for anyone who, you know, is hearing the title, The Go-Giver. And if they haven't read it, they may think, oh, The Go-Giver, does that mean you're just like giving stuff away? No, Go-Givers make a really good profit. Okay. We also tend to charge at the higher end because we're selling on value, on high value, not low price. Okay. Sure, we give a lot of information we should, because we know it's a, a world of abundance, okay? You can't give everything away because there's so much more people need from you that, you know, it's never ending. And so it's more that you don't have to worry about that you're giving, you know, everything away. But you also, that, doesn't, that also doesn't mean there's nothing congruent between being a go-giver and being a doormat or being a martyr, or being self-sacrificial. So please, if you're listening to this, do not think that's what being a go-giver is, okay? It's just that so often we see the duality in terms of it's either this or that. I'm either giving everything away or I'm some greedy, you know, whatever. It's not that. It's that you're giving wonderful, immense, fantastic value to others, and you're also receiving in great abundance, you know? So I think it's always important. So when we say, so going back to your question, do you serve a few people or a whole lot or a whole, it depends. It depends on what your business model is. It depends on what your goals are. You know, it depends on what's more congruent with your values, how you, you might be the type who likes working very deeply with a few people. If so, that's the way you want to go. Or you might like being able to touch the lives of a whole bunch of people to a certain extent and then allowing them to kind of grow in other areas. So it's really not a, what would a go-giver say or do in terms of one specific answer. It's based on the individual wants, needs, desires, and values of those involved. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'd also argue that I don't think it's, it needs to be one or the other either. It could be both that you go do. You can help a lot of people a little, and then get a few that you help with a lot that are paying you more. (laughs) Well, that's true too. And that's part of the value ladder. You know, for example, we have our Go-Giver Success Alliance mentorship community. You know, it's $75 a month. Okay. And, and everybody gets access to what the whole group of and to me and so forth. But we also have another uh, level for those who, I mean, they want intense coaching from me that obviously I wouldn't have the time or bandwidth to do at this, you know, when we have a whole bunch of people at $75. So yeah, a- absolutely. That's uh, it's a great example. Very congruent. Bob, we want to value your time here and we want to thank you for coming on this podcast, but I, I didn't even know you had, you know, it makes total sense that you would have those education resources like the membership community and hiring coaching. So I would love for you to tell our audience about it a little bit because our big thing at the Six Figure Home Studio is we value education, self-education above all. Self-education just means not higher education. So going and signing up for Bob's thing is what I would consider self-education. So can you, <laughs> you're welcome to pitch our audience on what it is that you do. If you, if you think it might be a good fit for our audience, I will be more than happy to send our guys there. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, if they go to Berg, B-U-R-G.com and they scroll down uh, just a little bit, they'll see the Go-Giver Success Alliance. And really it's a, a private mentorship community. And really it's all about helping our members achieve their next level of financial and business success and personal fulfillment. You know, we're pretty big believers that one without the other doesn't quite do it. You know, you got to have both. So, so we all get together. We meet once a week. We do a Zoom meeting, but it's, it's really seven days a week. As long as someone has a smartphone, they can always be uh, tuned in. And really, you know, while I'm honored to be the, I guess, official guide or, or mentor, 
there's people in that group who could mentor me. I mean, it's a good group of people. So to, it's really together. We all learn, we discuss, we strategize, we collaborate, and really we just build really great relationships. So yeah, if anyone's interested in checking that out, that would be great. So yeah, go to Berg.com. And also if you haven't already, please, God, we've talked about it so much before this interview and definitely on this interview, go buy the Go-Giver book. And I think you have a couple extra ones out there too, like a Go-Giver for sales, influence, yeah, there's four in the series. Uh, three of them are parables. So there's the Go-Giver, which is the original. Then there's Go-Givers Sell More, which is the only one that's not a parable. It's more of an application base for the Go-Giver. Then there's the Go-Giver Leader. And then there's the last one, which is the Go-Giver Influencer. And that's more about people skills. I need to read that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. No, I think your people skills are great already. Oh, so. thanks, Bob. Well, we've had so much fun getting to hang out with you, man. This was Likewise. Amazing. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, Bob, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure getting to hear someone speak when you've gotten to know their voice oh. through print <laughs> first. So yeah, this was, this was great. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. Oh, my, well, you guys are great hosts. You make it easy. You know, that it, when you have great hosts, it makes it easy for me because you just create that great environment just to have fun and, and go back and forth. So well, that means a lot coming from you. Well, we appreciate We appreciate the kind words that, that uh, makes us feel a lot more excited about digging into get, do, doing more interviews like this. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you around, Bob. Take it easy. So that is it for this interview with Bob Berg. Chris, any thoughts from that interview? Dude, the fact that he spoke, like his advice for me when I'm doing business coaching was just like the encouragement and the affirmation that I needed of like, yeah, you're right. I need to, I need to help people ask the right questions, not necessarily just ask them the right questions. So are you saying that this blanket advice is also relevant for you, just like it is for hundreds of other random industries that are no way interconnected? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it was wild interviewing him because you get nervous. Like I love his book. Like it absolutely changed my life. I've read it multiple times. I'll never forget the first time I read it. But when you meet somebody, you're not sure if they're going to be better or worse than their book. Bob was better. <laughs> so true. Yeah. To be fair, he's probably had hundreds of episodes to practice on before. He's probably been on more podcast episodes than you and I have. So he's probably got a lot of practice being an interviewee. But from start to finish, super nice dude. So super nice with a lot of great insights. Was there anything for you, Chris, that stood out? in this interview that you, you think is worth dissecting further just while we're here together? You know, I'm still struggling with the, like, so I'm, I'm sold on, on Bob's and Jesus's idea of the servant of all wins, but I'm still struggling with how to break that apart with, okay, so should I serve like 25 people a ton or should I serve like a million people a little, or how do I balance those two? And that's a tricky thing. I think for a lot of creatives, they're either really good at serving a large number of people a little bit or a few number of people a lot. And I think you could look at our podcast as a perfect example of that. Our podcast is like an hour long. You know, there's a lot of people that listen to it, but it's not like the same as somebody that has a million Instagram followers. And Instagram is super rad, but generally speaking, Instagram touches a lot of people a little bit. There's not many Instagram accounts that are just like, oh my gosh, this changed my life. It doesn't go deep. I still want to push back and say, I don't think it's one or the other. Well, and that's my point that I think that for a lot of creatives, they either do one or the other and then expanding to be like, well, I'm not helping a lot of people a little, maybe you should start doing that. Or 
I'm just, you know, posting my photography on Instagram. And that's the extent of how I'm helping people is I'm touching them with my art. Cool. Maybe you should experiment with helping a few people a lot. There's something he mentioned that I think he breezed by that's kind of profound, which is go-givers tend to charge a premium for what they do. And I think the reason go-givers, especially, I mean, he's seen it all in all the industries. He's seen more examples of that than I think we'll ever see. But I think the reason he's able to see that and why people are able to do that is because the way they serve, they're able to find those people that the value is higher. Let me just kind of explain what I mean there. If I, and I'll just use podcasting as an example, because we're a podcast, people understand that. If I'm a podcast producer, I can be helping tons and tons of podcasts a little bit, or I can find those podcasts that I will bring so much value to because they get so much value from their podcast. An example might be, I'm a podcast producer for big business podcasts for like Fortune 500 podcasts. Do you think they get more value from their podcast than someone doing like a World of Warcraft podcast? Like they probably, yeah. So I just mean like, I thought it was really cool. The idea of finding the people who get the most value from what it is that you provide. That's something about the go-giver that I don't think I really caught the first time reading it. And I caught it this morning uh, in one of the, when I was listening back to the, the book, talking to the CEO and about uh, having to flip that switch in your head about feeling bad about making money. And she flipped that switch in her head to where now she doesn't feel bad because she understands that the more value she brings to the world, the more she can earn. But part of that is bringing value to the right people in your industry. Because the same thing, the same deliverable, and if you're a freelancer, and, and we talked about this earlier, when there's a bottleneck, you're the bottleneck in your business as a freelancer. When you're a freelancer, your service is not the same value to every single type of client. So one of the big takeaways, just that one little bit that he said, that I don't even know if you caught Chris, that one little bit, the big takeaway was find the right customer for the thing that you do if you're trying to charge a premium for what it is that you do in, in your niche. Well, and something that's interesting about that, that I've experienced with the podcast, I'm like even grasping this more. I'm like, as I process it is, you know, we started doing the podcast and my goal was like, just to hang out with you. That was like the extent of my ambition when we started the podcast. Not very ambitious, Chris. <laughs> so ambitious. Right. And like, I, I literally thought like, how do I justify spending a few hours a week on this? I was like, well, I'll probably get mastering customers off of it. And <laughs> I did for sure. But when you finally talked me into doing business coaching, what was interesting for me is I would sit down with an individual and I would talk to them about their business and I asked them a bunch of questions and get to know what struggles and what needs they had. And that was so inspiring to be like, oh, that needs to be an episode. And basically like the last 50 or 75 episodes we did in some way, shape or form was impacted by a coaching session. I would learn something about our audience in a coaching session and we'd bring it back to the audience as a whole. I'm constantly taking notes in most coaching sessions. Not as much now, but more I, I used to back before COVID. And those notes would turn into episode ideas. And it was really a cyclical thing where it was help a small group of people a lot. And that will teach you how to help a large group of people a little. Yep. So that, again, that feeds back into the same thing where it's a false binary. It's not one or the other. Yeah. You can do both. And that's fascinating. I did not expect to be wowed by Bob the way... I knew it was going to be good, but he was so direct and so fast and so clear. He's a pro. That it really got me jacked up for doing more interviews, man. 